So this fall, uh, I'm going to be preaching a sermon series that I've entitled Justice, looking at what the Bible has to say about justice and how to evaluate the cultural messages that are all around us. And last week, I began the sermon with three preliminary messages that I just want to repeat for you. First of all, this is not a political sermon. It's not a uh, social science lecture series, anything like that. I'm going to try to stay in my lane as a pastor, really focus on what the Bible says and what it means for us to follow Jesus in loving God and loving our neighbor. Secondly, I recognize that these are treacherous topics to talk about. These are the sort of things in our culture that get you canceled when you say the wrong thing. Um, In the church, among us, My encouragement is that we speak the truth in love. I don't expect you to agree with every single thing I say, but if you disagree, I do expect you to speak the truth in love to me. And so that's the encouragement, that we can set an example as a church that when we disagree, we're able to have communication uh, and dialogue that doesn't turn into craziness like it does online and in the world. Thirdly, um, I just wanted to mention as well that my goal in this series is not to point a finger at the world and wag my finger. It's more as an encouragement and exhortation for the church, right? This is a message for God's church to understand what does it mean to be faithful to God and how we do justice. So I encourage you again, this is not about just looking at people out there. It's about looking at yourself. So having said that, let me just begin with a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear to understand what your word has to say. Lord, help us to be transformed by your word, by your gospel this morning, that we might reflect you in our love to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me begin with uh, three words. Black lives matter. It's the tweet that became a hashtag, that became a slogan, that became an organization, that became a movement. It's a statement that hopefully we can all agree on, that Black Lives Matter. It's connected to an organization that is much more controversial. But in today's sermon, my point is not going to be to focus on the organization or anything like that. It's to ask a question related to this that even though I was Googling it and trying to figure out an answer online, I didn't find this question addressed anywhere online, surprisingly. The question is... Why do black lives matter? It's a simple question, it would seem, but I didn't find the answer. Even on the Black Lives Matter website, the best I could find was this, an affirmation. We affirm the lives of black queer and trans folks, disabled folks, undocumented folks, folks with records, women, and all black lives along the gender spectrum. So it's an affirmation, but no matter how much I read or Googled or looked around, nobody was answering the question, why? Why do black lives matter? Why do any lives matter for that, for that matter? Why do the lives of the mentally ill matter? Why do the lives of the physically handicapped matter? Why do the lives of the elderly matter? Why do the lives of the unborn matter? Why does your life matter? Why does my life matter? In all of this talk about lives mattering, no one's really addressing the why question. Why do these lives matter? Why does our life matter? And if there is oppression or discrimination, why should it not be that way? Now, if you're an American, most of you probably instinctively start to think of the Declaration of Independence, which, if you remember, says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But when you look back, you can see why do people have rights according to our founding fathers? 
because they were given to us by our Creator. Why do lives matter? Why do people have human rights? Why is there such a thing as justice and rights? Because there is a Creator who has created us in His image with certain inalienable rights. This idea, this image of God issue is what we're going to talk about a lot this morning. It comes from Genesis 1, 26 to 27, where it says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hopefully you notice in the beginning there's this plural there. You know, God is speaking as the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, male and female, in relational, you know, with this relational capacity. Let us make man in our image. But as I pointed out last week, our American culture is moving further and further away from belief in a creator. You look at the polls, and the number of people who no longer affiliate with any religion is going up. The number of people who call themselves Christians is going down. And as people get away from a belief in a creator, they're still hanging on to the concept of human rights, that all lives matter, that black lives matter. They're hanging on to these beliefs while discarding the belief in a creator. But you're going to find that arguing for human rights is a lot harder when you get rid of the creator. So again, why do black lives matter? Why do any lives matter? Why does your life matter? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Where do you look to to answer the why question? So there's three possible places. The first one is this. Well, maybe, maybe if we look to nature, if we get rid of a creator and there's no longer a creator, God, and we just evolved, maybe we look to nature and say, we can look to nature and see that lives matter, black lives matter, that our life matters. Now, the founding fathers, as I said, believed that all lives mattered because they were grounded in the reality of a creator who made us in his image. And because we're made in the image of God, therefore we all have meaning. We all have dignity. We all have value. But as the atheist Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari wrote in his book Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, he wrote, the Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe in the Christian myths about God, creation, and souls, what does it mean that all people are equal? Homo sapiens have no natural rights, just as spiders, hyenas, and chimpanzees have no natural rights. I mean, this is an atheist historian speaking from outside America saying, listen, you take away a creator, you're left with a highly evolved animal, you've lost human rights. Because now they're no different than a chimpanzee, no different than a spider. It's just another animal. You're left with a big problem when you remove a creator and look to nature to say, you know, black lives matter or any life matters for that matter. Because what happens when you look at nature? You see survival of the fittest, natural selection, that different creatures are not the same physically or mentally. This is a picture of an actual shark that I found online. In nature, the strong eat the weak, right? The strong survive and the weak die out. That's what you see when you look to nature. That's just the way the world works, survival of the fittest. And nobody cries injustice when a praying mantis bites the head off of her mate. No one cries injustice 
when a cat kills a mouse? Right? When was the last time you saw people holding up signs that said, mouse lives matter, right? We instinctively know that you look at the nat- nature, you look at the animal kingdom, and you know that's just the way the world works, survival of the fittest. But we instinctively know it's different with human beings. But if you get rid of a creator, you can't just look to nature and say, oh, there's human rights. There's human dignity. G.K. Chesterton put it this way, the secular man goes first to a political meeting where he complains that savages are treated as if they were beasts. And then he takes his hat and umbrella and he goes to a scientific meeting where he proves that they practically are beasts. Right? Believing in a science and a scientific theory that teaches us that men are just highly evolved animals and then complaining when they're treated like animals. So again, I ask you, why do black lives matter if there's no God, if there's no creator? Why does any life matter if there's no God? Why do we instinctively cry injustice still when people are treated like animals when maybe we're just highly evolved animals? The evolutionary theory, of course, the person most responsible for that is Charles Darwin. And maybe you were unaware that he believed that his evolutionary theory proved that some races were superior to other races. That the Caucasian race was more highly evolved than the Africans or the Australian Aborigines. That he used his evolutionary theory and those who followed used that theory to prove that racism is not a thing, that there are more highly evolved humans out there. He wrote this in his book, The Descent of Man. Charles Darwin, he says, at some future period, not very distant measured by centuries, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace throughout the world the savage races. At the same time, the anthropomorphous apes will no doubt be exterminated. The break will then be rendered wider, for it will intervene between man in a more civilized state, as we may hope, than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of as present between the Negro or Australian and the gorilla. That is about as racist as it comes right there. If you couldn't understand what he's saying, he's saying his understanding is that now that his theory has proved, you know, that there's more highly evolved humans that eventually will exterminate the Australian Aborigines, the Negroes, those who are kind of lower evolved creatures. Wow. I mean, in this world where people are getting canceled left and right for things that they say, and people in history, people are dragging up people like Abraham Lincoln and trying to cancel them, it's amazing that no one has said, wait a minute here, you know, the evolutionary theory that so many scientists hold to is racist at its core. But again, if you take away God, then why do black lives matter? Why does any life matter if we're just highly evolved animals? Years ago, I saw a short Nazi propaganda film. It's called Opfer der Vergangenheit. I'm not German. It translates as Victims of the Past, and it was a a movie in 1937 that appealed to natural selection, to Darwin's theory of evolution, to make the case that the mentally ill should be exterminated, which they called inferior life forms. And the film begins with these words. It says, All that is non-viable in nature invariably perishes, We humans have transgressed the laws of natural selection in the last decades. Not only have we supported inferior life forms, we have encouraged their propagation. It's a film that's arguing, saying, why are, you know, 
these who, people who are fit in their mind living in these smaller houses while the mentally ill are housed in these, the, these, these buildings, you know, and, and, given, and taken care of instead of just exterminated. Again, take away belief in a creator and you're left with the belief that we're just highly evolved animals, then why are we any different than any other animal? Why are there human rights? Why do we instinctively cry injustice when people are not treated as fully, as full humans? When it makes sense logically that this is the way it would go. Natural selection, survival of the fittest. Andrea, Andrea Dilley, author, put it this way. She said, in a naturalistic worldview, a parentless orphan in the slums of Nairobi Nairobi can only be explained in terms of survival of the fittest. We're all just animals slumming it in a godless world, fighting for space and resources. The idea of justice doesn't really do anything. To talk about justice, you have to talk about objective morality. And to talk about objective morality, you have to talk about God. Takeaway creator, you're not going to be able to look to nature and say, oh, there's human rights right there. Now I understand why human beings have dignity. No, takeaway creator and you're left with animals. Survival of the fittest. A Russian philosopher named Vladimir Solovyov, he sarcastically put it this way. Man, man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. Love how he puts that. Just doesn't make sense, does it? Man descended from apes, therefore we must love one another. No. If our ideas of justice and human rights, the things that we instinctively know to be true don't line up with what we would expect if we're just the products of a godless evolution, then maybe the answer is that we're not the products of a godless evolution. Maybe the answer is that we are created in the image of God. Okay, so maybe we can't look to nature. Maybe that's not the answer. You know, get rid of God, just look to nature and say, there's human rights. Maybe there's a second place we can look. Maybe we can just establish rights through majority vote. Maybe that's where human rights come from. We just get together and agree these things are right, these things are wrong, these things are moral, these things are immoral, these things are just, these are unjust. But of course, there's a big problem with that. If, if you can vote on rights, you can also vote and take away rights, right? If it's just up to the majority to decide what a right is and what justice is, then the majority can take away rights. The majority can t- declare something just that is unjust. I mean, think about slavery. Do you really think that Slavery was just back when the majority thought it was good, and now it's unjust. Anyone really prepared to make that argument that slavery was a moral thing back when the majority practiced it, and now it's, now it's immoral only because the majority said so? Do you feel the same way about gay marriage or abortion? Like, at one point it was moral, then it was immoral, or then it was immoral, now it's moral. Things just changed based on majority vote. If human rights are something we, create, we can create, then, of course, human rights are something we can take away as well. And that may be something you're feeling like might be happening, you know, that human rights are maybe starting to be taken away in some ways. The problem with creating human rights is that, well, they can be taken away. And the point of a human right is to be able to say this, that the minority can speak to the majority and say, we know you believe this is right, but it is objectively wrong, no matter how many of you believe otherwise. Again, if human rights are just something we create, then what gives you any right to look around the world and look at how women maybe are treated in a Middle Eastern country and say, that's wrong, when in their society they've decided that's right? What gives you the right to look at the way something is practiced in Africa and say, that's wrong, when they've decided it's right? 
the whole idea of a human right is it's something that stands outside of the majority so that those who are in the minority can say, what you're doing is wrong. The way you're treating me is wrong. And it doesn't matter how many of you think otherwise. Again, so why do black lives matter? Why does your life matter? Is it because you look to nature and say, oh, I can see we have rights because of nature? No. Is it because the majority has decided that you have rights? No. What's left? How, how do we know that any life matters? Well, the answer, of course, is that we are created in the image of God. And every single life has dignity because of that. That as a Christian, I can say that a black life matters because he or she is created in the image of God. I can say that the life of the unborn matters because he or she is created in the image of God. I can say that the life of the mentally ill matters, that they should not be exterminated because they are created in the image of God. I can say that enslavement, discrimination, oppression, all that is wrong because you're treating someone who has been treated in the image of God as if they are less than human. This idea of, the human, of human rights has its origin in Genesis. Again, what does it mean? What is the image of God and what does it mean for us? First of all, it means that our purpose here on earth is to represent and reflect God as his image. Our purpose is to represent God and to reflect God to the world. Remember again, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where God said, let us make man in our image. And let him rule. He'll be representing me. They will be representing me, man and woman, representing me on earth, ruling over, stewarding this creation. And we're meant to reflect him. You might think of it as an angled mirror. You know, how an angled mirror would capture light and then reflect it somewhere else. That that's a good analogy to what we're meant to be here. Reflecting the glory of God to others. Reflecting the love and justice and goodness of God to this world. That's what it means to be the image of God. To represent him and to reflect him to this world. Just like a mirror has no light in itself, it must reflect light from somewhere else. We're the same way. We have no light in ourselves, but we reflect God's light and God's glory to this world. Now, having said that, you probably think, well, we're doing a pretty terrible job of this, aren't we? In so many ways, we don't reflect God well to this world. But there is hope. I'll get to that in a minute. The second thing that it means that we are created in the image of God is that you have objective and inestimable, inestimable worth and dignity. Objective means it's just fact. It's true. No matter what anyone thinks of you, no matter what you think of yourself, you have worth and dignity. You matter. And inestimable. You can't count it. You can't measure it. Did you know that? How much you are worth, how, how valuable you are, it's not because you think it or someone else says it. It's because God has put his image in you, created you in his image. Once again, take away a creator, and this is what you're left with. This is Stephen Jay Gould, evolutionary biologist. He put it this way. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age, because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. That's the cold truth of life without a creator. You're just here by accident. You know, you got lucky. You're here, but there's no higher purpose. There's no higher meaning. There's no higher value or dignity. You're here. You're going to die. You're going to go back to the dust. You'll be forgotten eventually. And eventually this world will collapse and there'll be nothing left. 
But the Bible says, no, you are of inestimable worth and dignity. You're created in the image of God. You're not an accident. Your self-worth doesn't come from what you do, from yourself, from anything. It comes from God and his glory. Think of Psalm 139, 13 to 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's the truth about who you are. For anyone who's ever struggled with your identity, ever struggled with worth, ever feeling like you're worth anything, the answer is you are created in the image of God. You have an objective worth and dignity that cannot be taken away. And the last thing is this. The last implication of the image of God is that every person deserves to be treated as a person of inestimable worth and dignity. Every person. Why do black lives matter? Why does any life matter for that sake? Because every person is created in the image of God and deserves to be treated as a fellow image bearer of God. Before anything else, this is who they are. They're not first and foremost a Republican or a Democrat. We don't first talk about their gender, sexual orientation, ethnicity, any of that. First and foremost, every individual that you interact with is an image bearer of God and deserves to be treated with worth and dignity. Let me just share a couple of verses where God references the image of God. Genesis 9, 5 through 6, where he's talking about murder. He says this, And for your lifeblood I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. He grounds his prohibition against murder in the image of God. That person was made in the image of God. If you're going to take their life, then your life deserves to be taken. And then James 3, 9 through 10 takes it even further. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. So when James is trying to convince people not to curse other people out, what does he use as an argument? He says, that person was made in the image of God. How can you curse them out? How can you call them those names when that is an image bearer of God? That's how much they are worth to God that he put his image in them. So who are you to curse them? Those who have fought for equal rights in previous generations, they understood this. Think of Martin Luther King Jr. in his sermon, The American Dream. He said this, You see, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The whole concept of the Imago Dei, as it is expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard, precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. Now there's someone who got it. If you're going to talk about human rights, if you're going to talk about justice and equality, 
you have to recognize that it's grounded in the image of God. That every person is valuable because they're all made in the image of God, not because of natural selection, not because we vote on it. Martin Luther King Jr. is talking to a society that was discriminating against black people. And he's saying, what you're doing is wrong because every person is made in the image of God. How would it change your perspective if you saw every single person around you as someone made in the image of God? That's that valuable. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He put it this way in The Weight of Glory. He said, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. You should read that sentence again. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them, that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Powerful, isn't it? He says, if you were to truly grasp that each individual is made in the image of God, and that they are heading to one of two destinations, it would affect and change how you interact with people today. Treat each other with dignity as individuals who bear the image of God. Now, sadly, as I said, we've all fallen short in that. You look around at the church, you look around at the world, we have failed miserably to treat each other in that way, with that kind of dignity, with that kind of honor and respect. But thankfully, God has provided a way. God has provided a Savior. There is one who came who was the perfect image of God. John 14, 8 through 10. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Remember that concept of the angled mirror reflecting God to the world. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what God is like? Look at me because I am the perfect image of God, perfectly reflecting God in his love and his character and his justice to this world. Paul writes the same thing in Colossians 1, 15 to 17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. See, he's the image of God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the image of God, the perfect mirror, angled, reflecting God to the world. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. 
And even though he was the perfect image of God, he suffered and experienced such injustice beyond anything we ever will. He was homeless. He was almost the victim of infanticide as the, ruling, as the rulers tried to kill off any young boys. He was poor. He was tortured. He was the victim of an unjust trial, nailed to a cross, even though he was innocent, even though he was the perfect image of God. He went through all of that for you to pay the penalty for your sins, for your inability to measure up to God's calling on your life to be the image of God. He did it so that you would be a new creation in Christ, that you'd be forgiven, that you'd have eternal life, that his Holy Spirit would be inside of you. As it says in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to be, follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We fall short of God's calling on our life to be his image bearers, to love and reflect him the way that he loves us. But Jesus has offered us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he's put his Holy Spirit in us and given us the ability now to go out and to be image bearers in a way we couldn't before. There's a great passage in 2 Corinthians that tells us how, we're to go about, how we are to go about doing that. It says this, We're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul's saying, now that the veil has been lifted and you see God, now we reflect him. And we are being transformed into his likeness as we gaze upon him. The more that you spend time with Jesus, getting to know him and who he is, the more you're going to be transformed into his likeness by his glory. So going back to that original question, why? Why do black lives matter? Is it just because we affirm, we say so? Why does any life matter? Why does your life matter? Not because you look to nature and say, nature teaches us that people's lives matter. Not because we vote them into existence, human rights. Every life matters because we are created in the image of God. That God has given us that kind of worth and dignity. And he's called us to go and love each other as fellow image bearers, to treat every single human being you interact with as the image bearer of God. Amen. We pray and then we're going to respond and worship. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you put your image in us, that we know we are worth so much because of that. Forgive us for how we have treated each other as less than your image. Forgive us for the injustices, the oppression, the hatred, all the ways that we have perpetrated injustice in this world, God. Help us as a church to be first in line to love our neighbor as ourself, to treat everyone as a fellow image bearer. Lord Jesus, draw us into your presence. Help us to reflect you to this world in the way we love our neighbor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be responding in worship in a minute, but I just wanted to mention before we sing our closing song, 
um, that there's a box in the back for those who are in person and want to give tithes and offerings. If you're at home, there's a link on our website to give uh, through the PayPal on our website. And so I encourage you to give to the work of God through our church and use those connection cards in the bulletin to communicate with us. If you need information about anything or need prayer for anything, please fill that out and drop it in the box in the back. And if you're at home, there's a link as well for a connection card, or you can just leave a message in the comments so that we can be in touch with you.